0: Greetings and welcome to Tales from the Otherwood, a podcast exploring the folk tales and folklore of the East Midlands and beyond. I'm Dylan Knight, and I'll be your guide as we take one of the many paths in this magical, ever-changing woodland. The wheel has turned, and we find ourselves here in the United Kingdom, under Winter's domain. In both the land around us, and in the other wood, frost had formed all over, making the air sharp and crisp. It crunches under our footwear, along with the leaves which fell during the autumn, and with more gusto over the end of November. We even had snow at the beginning of the month, which has given way to rain. If there was ever a season to represent the element of water, Winter should be it. I apologise for the lateness of this episode, as come the week of recording, I had a cold, and thankfully that's all over and done with now. December's story sees us bringing in the Yuletide cheer here in Nottinghamshire, set on the outskirts of Mansfield, which has been a market town since 1227. It is also the second largest settlement in Nottinghamshire apart from Nottingham itself. Interestingly enough, Sherwood Forest is nowadays closer to Mansfield than it is to Nottingham. It is a very thin line that runs between the trees between our world and those of the Otherwood. And even though this story contains no magical creatures, it does have a different kind of magic all of its own. Tales from the Otherwood presents The Miller of Mansfield. King Henry II called out for his nobles, but it was no good. This was the third and final time, and the response was met with the same empty reply of silence all around him. He had to admit it. He was hopelessly lost, and could not remember the way back to Nottingham. The day had started brilliantly. It was a clear and sunny day, and frost had blanketed the ground and all it touched. Winter was well and truly here, and today was a perfect day for hunting. Henry II loved hunting, especially alone, that and reading a good book in his chambers. Both were ideal occasions when there was no one around to bother him. He and his friends sped out from Nottingham Castle on horseback, and made their way into Sherwood Forest with hounds and all, chasing after the hearts and hinds of fallow and red deer, including a very impressive roebuck too. With the sharp winter air filling his lungs, the call of the dogs baying all around him, and the feel of his powerful steed charging ahead until they reached their quarry, nothing stirred his blood quite like a good day's hunting. Apart from warfare. But that was a different game altogether. The king and his men rode on, and eventually the nobles began to peel off one by one. They had all come to know Henry, sometimes preferred his own company when riding out, but this was a good day, and fun was had by all. They had also noticed the sun going down, and so the nobles insisted they should make their way back, and that was hours ago. Henry had told them all to go home. He had spied a rather swift heart, and wanted to bring him back himself, but he had lost the red deer stag, and now it was dark and the first stars were joined by all their glistening kindred in the heavens. And as much as he'd enjoyed today, Henry was now thinking maybe he should have gone back with his fellows. He was alone now, and knew that even though the forest belonged to him as a hunting ground, he was wise enough to understand that Sherwood Forest was also a perfect place for thieves and robbers to hide and lurk in the shadows especially when there were rumours of a certain man by the name of Hood. Knowing he was armed with his own bow and arrow and a good dagger, King Henry knew he would have to find lodgings rather than try to take on a gang of outlaws by himself. Trained soldiers in war were one thing. Undisciplined and unpredictable untrained vagabonds were something else entirely. Luckily for him, as he rode a little while on the road, Henry did not come across any gangs of robbers, he came across a most different sight indeed. A light, illuminating a strange creature, glowing ghostly white, and was surrounded by an ethereal mist. And, was that the tinkle of bells he could hear? As he paused his horse from going any further... He could see the strange apparition walking towards him on the road, and as the spectral form came closer, Henry realised the light was coming from a lantern reflecting the white of an apron on a man with very thick whiskers under his nose and covering his mouth. The man was whistling a tune to himself and covered in dust that seemed to follow him all around. Henry found his hand instinctively relax its grip from his dagger and said out loud. Good evening, Monsieur Dusty. Our king was rather proud of himself for having picked up the name Dusty, as this was the English nickname given to flour millers of the country. He had learned as much when being schooled in Bristol. Hey up you, said the miller from behind his thick moustache. Hang on, who goes there? The miller thrust his lantern at King Henry and seemed quite oblivious as to who he was talking to. Henry found a smirk growing on the left side of his mouth. I beg your pardon. I did not mean to frighten you, my good man. Pray, do you know the way to Nottingham? I find myself lost. Nottingham, my backside, said the distrustful miller. Not being funny but you didn't ride out your way to pull the old, oh I'm lost on the road, trick. I know what you are. You're a gentleman thief. Henry had expected at first for the miller to recognise his likeness from the minted coins. He was not expecting to be accused of being the kind of man he himself was hoping to avoid. Not really knowing what to say, Henry found himself laughing out loud with no malice whatsoever. The miller continued his allegations. You stay there in the light where I can see you. I've got my staff here, and I'm not afraid to use it and crack your head open if I must. You abuse me much good, sir. In truth, I am a gentleman, but I'm no thief, and it is lodgings I lack. Apparently the miller wasn't having it. I'd wager you haven't even got one groat on your purse. Even your posh clothes are worn, I see. To be fair, Henry could not blame the miller. He always went hunting in his scruffiest clothes. It didn't matter if they got dirty. But even then, they looked finer than what this rather defensive man was wearing. I assure you, I have enough gold at my call. Even if there was a room available, I would gladly pay forty pence up front. That might seem like a pittance to us, but back in the twelfth century... It wasn't a value to be sniffed at. The miller squinted at Henry behind his thick, bristly eyebrows. If you're an honest man, I'll lodge you in my home for the night. The king was delighted. Ah, thank you, good sir. Here, let me come down and shake your hand. Henry climbed down from his horse and was little dismayed to find the miller pointing his staff at him. I only shake hands with good, decent men. Let us to my house, and then we can see what you really are. You might be a sprite, like that Robin Goodfellow. Right, little pillock, that one I hear. As the miller muttered to himself, Henry kept his word in being a gentleman, and stayed on the ground leading his horse. The miller led the way until they reached his home, which wasn't far away at all. As the two men entered the miller's house, Henry was assailed by all the smoke inside, At first, he thought the house was on fire, and then he smelled the wonderful scent of food, baking in particular, of puddings and pastries. His stomach grumbled as he now realised how hungry he was. Rather than, youth. Let's look upon you and see what you are. The miller looked at him intently. "Ah, Please, Henry invited, look as much as you like. The miller inspected the man before him, and seemed rather impressed. You've an honest face, I'll give you that. You may spend the night here. You'll have to sleep in the same bed as my lad Richard, mind. We ain't got a spare bed. Oh, what a comely young man, said the miller's wife, all red-faced from being so close to the ovens. It's always good to be cautious, husband. Who are you then, youth? Not run away, are you? So is your passport then, and all will be well. Henry smiled kindly at the miller's wife, and took his hat off whilst bowing most courteously. "'My good lady, I have no passport, and I have never been in service, for I am but a poor courtier who had rode on for too long out of my way. For the kindness you are offering me here, I shall see you are indeed repaid.' "'Oh, I sigh!' the miller's wife gushed. "'Let me have a quick word with me husband.' Henry nodded, and even though the two whispered amongst themselves, he could pick out words such as good manners, decent clothing, and a sin to turn him away. Both the miller and his wife broke from their small discussion and looked at Henry with big warm smiles. "'Well, young man, you're welcome here,' the miller's wife confirmed. "'You'll be well lodged indeed!' We'll get the fresh straw and the brown hemp sheets can get used too. The miller looked rather pleased. Oh aye, and don't forget, you'll be on the same bed as our son. Share the bed, screeched a young boy whom Henry took to be Richard. This Richard was all knees and elbows and had a sharp nose, rather like his father's, and couldn't have been any older than thirteen winters old. Nay, firstly, good sir, be honest with me, Do you have any creepers or the scabado? Henry had a good grasp of English, even though amongst the court he spoke French and Latin. But the words young Richard had assailed him with, he had no idea. I pray I know not what you mean. What creatures are those? Have you got lice or any scabs from the pox? If you do, you're not sleeping in the same bed as me. Richard felt his point was so important, he finished it off with him crossing his arms. Twice in one night, Henry had found himself accused, once of being a robber and now a leper. He couldn't help himself any longer and let out a full-on belly laugh, complete with tears streaming down his cheeks. He even had to rest one hand on the wall to steady himself up whilst the other slapped his thigh. I assure you, young Richard, Henry had to stop and breathe before continuing. <gasps> I am indeed free of any lice and what you call the, er, uh, scabado. Well, that's all right then. And as you know my name, what's yours? Richard, shush, exclaimed the miller. Forgive my light, good sir. It can be quite blunt. As we're friends here, I am John Cockle. And I'm Matilda beamed Mrs Cockle. Matilda, eh? That is a very good name, and it is very good to meet all of you. You may call me... Henry. And with that, both John and Henry finally shook hands, and the Cockles set themselves up for preparing for their guests with great aplomb. John Cockle went out and made sure the horse was comfortable, secure, and given oats to eat. Richard got straw for the bedding and made it as neat and tidy as he could. Mrs Cockle seemed very pleased with herself in showing her hemp sheets for the bed. In fact, the whole family took great pride in preparing for their guest and in sharing what they had. It turns out Henry couldn't have come at a better time, for he was treated to a meal of delicious bag puddings made with eggs, suet, salt and honey and warm apple pies spiced with cinnamon. A brown bowl was passed with nutty brown Nottingham ale, and shared around in good cheer. When passed back, John stood and raised the bowl in a toast. Here, good Sir Henry, I drink to thee, and to all cuckolds wherever they be. And I pledge to you, good John and his family, in thanks for my welcome here, and in like manner, I drink to your son. Well, give us the beer then, Richard demanded playfully, and all laughed merrily. I'll think, good wife, John winked knowingly at Matilda. The best is yet to come. Let us taste the sweetness of Lightfoot. Mrs Cockle squealed with delight, and Richard sat a bolt right with excitement. What is this? Is this Lightfoot? Henry asked as Mrs Cockle brought from the oven a golden pasty that smelled as inviting as it looked. That's Lightfoot, all right. Eat, and don't leave any to waste, John insisted. Whatever this Lightfoot was, the Cockle seemed most proud of it and eager to share and it did smell mouth-wateringly delicious. Henry took a knife and sliced a bit for himself, and blew on the meat inside, for the pasty was fresh and hot. Taking a bite, he chewed, and was taken aback by how rich the pasty was, and so full of flavour. I have never eaten anything so rich in my life, where do you buy such an exquisite thing? Buy it! Richard asked knowingly We don't pay a penny for it We take the deer from Sherwood Henry swallowed and remained silent for a time Until he confirmed Then it is venison This is the king's deer You fool Of Course it is Richard went on And we're never without two or three on the roof Being from the forest There's an endless supply But don't tell a soul whatever you do Henry looked at each of the Cockle family in the eye and promised, I swear to you now, the king shall not know of this, not from me. Just as well, said John Cockle. We'd be buggered if he found out. At this, everyone burst out laughing, and after the ale was finished, Henry was treated to a strange drink called lamb's wool, made of Nottingham brown ale, honey, nutmeg, ginger, and roasted crab apples. The cockles drank to his health, and he returned the favour in all sincerity. Then everyone went to bed and slept most well indeed. The very next morning, after enjoying a breakfast of fresh bread and eggs, Henry was just mounting his horse, when both he and the cockles could hear a great barking of dogs and the thunder of hooves. Before everyone knew it, they were surrounded by a company of nobles on horseback and their hunting dogs, who all seemed very excited. One noble came forward on horseback and approached the cockles. Good day! We were wondering if you could help us. Have you seen... (gasps) Your Majesty! The noble exclaimed. At once the entire company dismounted from their horses and bowed before the man the cockles had lodged and supped with. Henry got down from his own horse and approached the man. They were apologising a lot, and explained they had set out at first light from Nottingham Castle after discovering the king had not returned. The king. Henry. King Henry II. The dawning realisation made the miller, his wife and his son, freeze in utter dread. Not only had they put the king up for the night... They had also shared with him their secret of poaching and eating his deer. What made it worse was that now the king was speaking French among his nobles and was looking directly at John and his family. One of the nobles eagerly approached the king and presented his own sword whilst bending the knee. King Henry took the sword and turned to John Cockle and started walking purposefully towards him. Tears forming in his eyes and finding his mouth drying out, John knew only that he must kneel before the king and take his punishment. A sideways glance revealed Mrs Cockle and young Richard looking on in horror. King Henry now stood before John Cockle, miller of Mansfield, and raised the sword. John forced his eyes shut and rolled his head forwards, praying for the death strike to be true and take his life in one powerful swing. Surprised he was then to feel the flat of the sword blade gently touch his shoulder, and then his other shoulder. And then he heard the king say, in that gentlemanly and friendly voice, Arise, Sir John Cockle, Knight of the Realm. John looked up in astonishment. He could hear King Henry talking, but in all the excitement he couldn't understand the words. Eventually standing up, Mrs Cockle explained to him they would never have to pay rent to the landlord again. The king had awarded the lands of their house and the mill as now their own. The Cockles and King Henry said their farewells, and before the king left on his horse, he patted his hunting gear and winked knowingly at the family, and then set off with his noble company back to Nottingham. Right, storytelling is thirsty work. Time for a cup of tea, I think. Put on the kettle or crack open your flask. It's time for a drink and a chat. I've wanted to tell that story for a while now, and as I discovered it in Pete Castle's Nottingham Folk Tales set in the winter, I thought it would make a perfect winter story. I was a little surprised in finding the original broadside ballad, if I was to use its full name, a pleasant ballad of King Henry II and the Miller of Mansfield, was set not in winter, but in the summer. As Mark Twain once said, never let truth get in the way of a good story. Even the mention of bag puddings, which were first recorded around the 16th and 17th centuries, tells us this ballad may have come from around that time, as opposed to the reign of Henry II, 1154-1189. I have even read a version of the ballad as a tale with Henry VIII taking the place of Henry II, which just goes to show that a good story is mutable in its form. It's the lamb's wool drink that takes us to an old folk practice called wassailing, Something definitely done in the winter, and with the recipe I found by the power of Google, I can definitely see this being drunk in winter rather than a hot summer's night. Wassailing takes its name from the Anglo-Saxon Washall, meaning be of good health. Although there are regional variations, there are primarily two versions of the Wassailing ceremony in Great Britain that are the most recognised the more familiar form being from the West Country, and involves the blessing of fruit trees and often has their trunks being struck and cider being poured onto the roots to encourage a healthy yield of fruit, most likely for making alcohol with in the coming year. The other is of sharing a communal wassail bowl by having a group visit your household who call out, wassail! To which the receiver replies, drink ale! Meaning, drink to good health. The receiver would then drink from the communal wassail bowl, and pass it on to the next person with a kiss. The wassailing continues until all members of the home have had their turn fulfilled. Although this is not followed explicitly in the story, the king does share a bowl of ale and a bowl of the drink lambswool with the Cockle family. Not only does John Cockle make a toast, then drink from the bowl... So too does King Henry want it is passed to him and he toasts the family. Ronald Hutton mentions in his book The Stations of the Sun that the 8th century epic poem Beowulf and an account from the 1320s both describe the act of wasailing as the making of toasts. So it is interesting that we see this in a ballad that was recorded from at least the 17th century. The Lamb's Wool Drink was also recorded from around the same time, with a recipe from 1633, and another from Robert May in 1664. Was the ballad from those same years? We will never know for sure. But we do know that wassailing was practised almost all around the country up until modern times. Wassailing is normally attributed to being done on Twelfth Night, which in 2024 will be January the 5th but it can also be performed on the Old Twelfth Night, or Old Twelvy, which now works out as the 17th of January. And this is because our calendar changed from the Julian calendar to the Gregorian one in 1752, and we lost 11 days in the calendar once this was implemented although it turns out wassailing can be performed at any point during the 12 days of Christmas. Indeed, some wassailing customs took place on New Year's Eve or New Year's Day. As for counting when the first day of Christmas actually was, that depends if you count from Christmas Eve or Christmas Day. I had mentioned before about wassailing having its regional variations, and Nottinghamshire was no exception. Wassailing bowls had been recorded in other parts of the country as having bread or cakes dipped into them. In Nottinghamshire, the tradition took place on Christmas Eve, and the wassail bowl was filled with Christmas cake, broken up into pieces, and then hot ale was poured all over it. This mixture was then eaten together communally by the family. Although we don't see this in the story, they did share drink and a feast of puddings, pies and pasties. And even though we don't see a direct reference to a sailing, I like to think the hospitality of the Cockle family is a wonderful example of fellowship and good faith. Tales from the Otherwood was written and produced by me, Dylan Knight. And should you find yourself inspired to look into the recipes of how to make bag pudding and lamb's wool, and you give them a go, you can let me know. And... Hello, Reggie. <laughs> you can let me know how it went, and even send me photos on Instagram at tails underscore from underscore the underscore otherwood. You can even now contact me by email at talesfromtheotherwood at gmail.com for anything related to any of the tales I tell or if you know a folk story you'd like to see in future episodes or if you've got any folk traditions that you wish to share on future episodes as well. Here's wishing you all a Merry Solstice, a Merry Christmas, a Happy New Year and, let me just get my books fizz. And to each and every one of you... Wassail!